Ahoy Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. Nope. Yeah, fucking hell. Two weeks in a row I did it. God damn it. You know, we're keeping this in the show. Welcome to Homer and Applesauce. Uh, wait, what's this fucking show called? Today or today or Love Tomorrow, the World Series. God damn. It's it's late. My brain is broken and the Mets keep killing me. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, <laughs> we, we are in a stretch right now of just truly horrific baseball. The Mets have lost five straight series. They have not won two games in a row since the series in San Francisco. They have not had any real uh real like glimmers of hope in there that have lasted more than a game or so and it just seems like every day something new goes wrong for the team we start with a vibe check every week my my vibe check is is not just in the basement but in like the storm cellar under the basement (laughs) uh what what are you feeling right now yeah, it's pretty bad. I think as somebody who tries to keep an optimistic outlook on this team, uh, they're, they're making it really hard to, to make that case. Uh, they're 4-13 and 13 in their last 17. And one of the things I like to do um, in general, but uh, especially when things are going really well or really poorly, is just pull up the uh, schedule and results page on Baseball Reference and and look, I don't know. There's just something about that old-fashioned, simple spreadsheet kind of format to it. Um, so many L's in in that column <laughs> right now over the last few weeks. And it, I mean, it's kind of incredible. As bad as they've been, they're 18 and 20, right? Yeah, they're only two games under 500. That blew my mind today. Yeah, it it feels much worse than that. Um, they need to start doing things that are good on a consistent basis they don't have to win 10 games in a row but they need to win seven out of ten uh a stretch like that which they are capable of i think (laughs) um maybe (laughs) but yeah i guess i hope i hope they are (laughs) and look this this is not um the reds rockies Tigers, Nationals are not the Braves. Uh, this was supposed to be an easy stretch of the schedule. And you can't expect to sweep every team that's clearly worse than you uh, going into each of those series. But you should definitely expect not to lose every one of them. So that that's, that's not great. Um, I don't know where... Yeah, we can get into a little bit of like the ideas of of how they might be able to turn it around, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I guess two silver linings: uh, the bar has been lowered significantly by Major League Baseball for making the playoffs, mm-hmm. and obviously coming off last year, we wanted them to win the division. Um, but I don't necessarily think that that buy obviously. Advancing around by not having to play is a good thing. But whether or not that buy and the break are beneficial to a team and their chances to win that second round, um, I think it'll take some time to determine that. Uh, last year w- would be the ultimate small sample size. Right. But um, 
that the bar is pretty low to get in. And we've seen, I, I don't want to rationalize terrible baseball with, oh, well, it's okay. Other teams have done this recently and then they get in and then they go on to either make or win the World Series. I mean, look at the Cardinals in 06, right? They yeah. were they were barely a playoff team. They beat the Mets and won the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think everybody right now, as much as I uh, like to sort of, uh, what's the right word? Poke a little fun at the negativity that often surrounds this team. I think right now everybody has the absolute right to be negative. <laughs> sure. Um, but it is not over yet. There are only two teams in the National League that are significantly over 500, and it's the Braves and the Dodgers. Um, the Pirates Cinderella story seems to be, you know, coming up on midnight uh, already in May. Very nice uh, continuation of metaphor there, by the way. Thank you. Cinderella story and midnight. That's, that's impressive. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, but it, you look around, the, the Padres have been, uh, I think, slightly better than the Mets. I think right now they, they lost today too, uh, which would make them a half game better than the Mets. Again, I don't want to sit and make excuses. It's just it's a long season. There's a lot of there's a lot of games left, and it's not like the Mets are in the American League East, where right. um, you know I don't know if this is still true right now, but for most of this season so far, that entire division has been over 500. And yeah, it is still true. The Yankees are three games over 500. They're in last place. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that also happens when when you have a team off to an historically amazing start. Yes, yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and divisional play is reduced in this new schedule and, and all that. But, um, but yeah, the Mets are not stuck in a division where every team has a winning record. Every team has a positive run differential. Um, and as you said, one of them is just uh, – they're world beaters right now. And – uh, let's just hope things go well in Washington because people are going to assume they're going to get swept by the Rays no matter what happens over the next four days. <laughs> but it would be nice if the Mets could, I don't know, get to 500 at least before that series against Tampa starts. That would be nice, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, some people in the comments at AmazingAvenue.com for my game recap today were calling me a crybaby. <laughs> because I was down on the team, and I, I, I think that I have a relatively even disposition with all things Mets compared compared to some of our friends who I will not name. I think I am pretty even keel. But but I said today, like, you know, it's starting to look like this isn't a slump. Like this is maybe the state, the actual state of the team right now. Now I I don't really I did not say this is one hundred percent the certainty. I just said it's starting to feel like more than just a slump. But some people were also quick to point out in the comments today that I believe at this point in the season, we are, we being the Mets, are exactly sort of where the Braves were last season. And then they played amazing baseball for the rest of the year and wound up taking over first place. Right. And I think that that is a valuable lesson. Um, the Mets had, what, a 10-game lead in the division for most of May, June, and July last year? Something like that, yeah. So, but also, like while it, while it is useful information, the Braves also went on like a never before seen run for most of the summer, and you oh, yeah. really can't expect a team to do that 
two years in a row. Yeah. Any yeah. team, you know, I, I'm not saying one, you can't expect two teams in the same division to have similar runs two years in a row. Um, but again, I, I think at this point, if the Mets make it in as one of the wildcard teams, that's, we have to be okay with that. But it's also, it is very early and I'm not, I am not writing off the Mets. I'm not. But I think that we're getting to a point in the season where it can't just be, we can't just be relying on small sample size uh, excuses or talking about how, you know, the Mets have had a historically bad run of XYZ. Because honestly, they haven't. They've played shitty teams and they've played really poorly against said shitty teams. And yes, there was mediocre starting pitching in that time. And yes, there were some guys who are still playing who should be on the IL. And we'll get to that in a second. And yes, uh, I almost said Terry Collins. Goodness gracious. Buck <laughs> Walter has been, you know, was playing Escobar probably a little bit longer than he should have. And was certainly starting Nito more than he probably should have. And probably overusing certain bullpen arms. Like, all that is true. But nothing happened that was so unusual that you can chalk up the season's problems to the novelty of whatever the situation is. We're at a point now where they're just playing like garbage. And they're playing like garbage on a couple different levels. You know, they're not hitting right now at all. Uh, you know, I, again, a Tuesday's game, they came back too late, but they, they came back, they showed some spunk. Wednesday's game, they only scored two runs, but they had Verlander looking like vintage Verlander. And so they didn't need to score more than two runs. And then today's game, they just looked like a team that could not hit themselves out of a paper bag. Um, and, you know, Senga went five today. And aside from a bad first inning, which was aided by a couple of things that were out of his control, he didn't look terrible. You know, Jerry Blevins, who, by the way, let's just give it up for Jerry Blevins, doing a, a really good job as a color man this week. Um, so I, I think we're all pretty big Jerry fans around these parts. But yeah. he, he did a really nice job this week. And he kept saying, like, I know this is a results-based game, but in terms of process, he liked today's start from Senga for a couple of reasons. And I love that perspective being brought to the broadcast booth. But, you know, but he's right. At a certain point, it is about the results, and the results just weren't there today. Um, you know, we have Max Scherzer, who said he's, quote, fighting like hell to not go on the IL, and then missed a start for the thing he wasn't even talking about when he said that, for a different injury. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just seems like the, the, the bad luck argument to me is running out because at a certain point it's not luck, it's just the reality. And I'm not writing the team off yet, but I think it is absolutely within your rights as a fan at this point to wonder sort of what the trajectory for the team for the rest of the season is. I yeah. think we've seen enough of it now that at, at least asking the questions feels valid to me. Yeah, 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 no, totally. Uh, the the point on Blevins I actually wanted to touch on a little bit. Uh, I've made this comparison a, a couple times in seeing some of the work he's done this year, but uh, for Rangers fans who watch their broadcasts on MSG, Jerry Blevins is um, – to me, very similar to Steve Valiquette, where you have a sharp former player who's a little bit younger. Um, so I'm not saying that Ron and Keith aren't sharp. They are. 
they 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 really know the game in and out. Um, but somebody who's played a, a little bit more recently, um, maybe has been teammates with some. Uh, in in the case of Valaket, that probably isn't really the reality anymore. But when he started, it was similar to Blevins. You know, he was um, providing analysis on. Uh, some guys he played with, some guys he played against, and and then other guys who were newer uh, to the league. Uh, but they have this very similar ability to use their experience as a as a former player, um, and and both like smaller roles, you know, backup goalie, relief pitcher. I feel like those are similar go- uh, uh, jobs, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I just love that ability to to speak to it as somebody with the experience and someone who can understand the analytics. Um, in, in the case of Blevins, it, what I love is it's not even, uh, it's not even like mentioning stats that are on fan graphs or baseball prospectus or anything, but it's talking about the game in a way that's in line with the way that it's been written about. Um, you know, over the last 10 to, 10 to 20 years by the, yeah, I feel like you don't even hear it called this anymore. But like the sabermetric community, right? Like, right, right. Um, he made a point during today's broadcast when Canna was up. I think it was Canna's first or second at bat of the game, and he basically lined out to the third baseman with really hard hit ball, but lined out. And he said, like, you know, that's not the result you want, but he hit the ball hard. He hit it on the nose. That's that's good process. And there's a piece in the book of Moneyball where Scott Hatterberg talks about how when he would come up to bat and he would line out, people would would say things like "tough break" to him, whereas he felt like, "No, you should be congratulating me on the line drive I just hit." Like when when, when I dork a ball in the center field off the end of the bat, and it's not great process, you shouldn't be celebrating that. You should be celebrating right. when when I'm doing the right <laughs> thing, regardless of what happens. And so. That again, Moneyball came out 20 years ago, so it's not like this is a new concept. But you almost never hear a, an older broadcaster speak about it that way. They right. might say, "Oh, we hit that one on the screws; he got unlucky." But Blevins just put it in a way that, like you said, is sort of more sabermetrically friendly. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I hope we get to hear more of him in games. Right? I, not everybody, uh, myself included, not everybody tunes in early enough to catch the pregame show or sticks around for the postgame show. Um, you know, especially as major league baseball has made an effort to make games more concise and, and all that, the, it, it's kind of like, all right, the game's over. Uh, I'd be more inclined to watch more of the studio stuff if the Mets were winning, uh, 13 out of 17 games instead of, right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, Good stuff from Blevins, and I, I hope we get more in-game content with him, uh, whether it's filling in when they don't have Ron or Keith, uh, if they if they want a third person in that booth, um, or just the, the scenario that we saw this week. Uh, I mean, Keith was there, but, you know, sort of the, the, the B team overall, and, and he's in there. Um, alternatively, you could, you could just – not have him replace Gelbs, but maybe uh, have some segments that he does that play during a game, um, you know, where he's he's talking to a pitcher about 
uh, how they do their job and their, you know, their pitch shapes and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's been refreshing. Um, and, and yeah, we have to latch onto this because what else has there been to enjoy lately? <laughs> I mean, Verlander being himself and, and Blevins being a, um, an asset as like a pinch hitting, uh, commentator that that's what we've got right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Verlander being himself definitely helps things a little bit. Um, I think we could all agree that that is a, a positive bit of this past week. Um, we, I, I do want to talk about uh, this, the other co-ace on the team, which is Max Scherzer. We mentioned that he is trying to stay off the IL. Um, at this point, do you, if you were in the Mets brass, would you just IL him? Uh, yes. Okay, same question, different player. If you were in the, if you were part of the Mets brass, would you IL Stanley Marte? Yeah, and, and faster than Scherzer. Uh, I mean, Scherzer is continuously not <clears throat> ready to pitch lately, uh, and he's older. And probably more important, I mean, Mar- Marte being himself is also important to this team. Like, no doubt about that. Um, but if you look at a playoff series and maybe a wild card series um, as a realistic possibility right now, despite his performance in that wild card series game last year. You need Scherzer to be available. Yes. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but I still would IL Marte faster because he's been so bad since he left that one game with, like, the next strain. And I think he – I forget if the Mets had an off day or if he sat for one day afterwards. But whatever the case, he looked great. He looked like himself um, for the first two and a half weeks of the season. And then he has just been absolutely awful since then. And it's a short break. Just you you put him on there. Even if it isn't that injury, you know, maybe it's that injury led to some bad habits and now he can't break them. But he's not doing anybody any good. I mean, the fact that they moved him down in the batting order seems like a minor miracle. Mm -hmm. Um. And I don't think he's toast at 34. I think he hurt himself, and either he's still hurt or, uh, you know, like I just said, he got into uh, a, a bad place with how he's playing. And since he returned to the lineup a couple of days after he got hurt, he's uh, he's got a 34 weighted runs, runs created plus. Like, <laughs> you know, 177, 253, 190. That, that's not... That's not going to do it. And what's frustrating is about halfway through this stretch, we made this point. I wrote about it on on Amazing Avenue. Um, We're not in the room every day. Uh, We don't know, but you can look at it and just see. I mean, there's, he said, one extra base hit in his last 88 plate appearances. And, you know, not that he's like a 40 home run guy, but this is somebody who can hit the ball hard and is fast enough to turn a ball in the gap into a double pretty easily, um, you know, a ball over an outfielder's head or down the line into a triple, um, you know, you can build up a nice slugging percentage without hitting tons of home runs. Uh, and we, we know he's capable of that. And um, yeah, yeah. Last year, 
over the course of the whole season, he had a 176 isolated slugging. And right now, he has a .06. Ooh. <laughs> Which, like, it's just not him. No, it's not. So, yeah. Yeah, he, he would have been on the IL at least a week ago, if it were up to me. Uh, and I, I just don't understand. What about... Um, so? Uh, a recent addition to the IL is Tomas Nito, who was put on with dry eye syndrome. Yeah, that that's um. Look, if it's really something he's dealing with, and somebody in his family listens to this podcast, then I'm sorry for being skeptical. But man, that sounds like bullshit. It really does. Um, uh, dry eyes is a thing for people. And I'm sure that, you know, like I, I have bad seasonal allergies. And this year I've asked you, I'm knocking on some wood. It hasn't been so bad. But there are years when my eyes will itch like 24 hours a day. And it's it's terrible. And so if he's going through something like that, I, I get it. It sucks. But it just seems like they, they needed to get him some time off because he was hitting like half his weight uh, this season so far. And just really looking bad on both sides of the ball. You know, if you have him to be your defensive specialist, he needs to be good on, on, on defense. And he hasn't been very good behind the dish this season yet. And so I get wanted to give him a break, but um, you couldn't you couldn't come up with, I don't know, back strain something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Um, and and. It's got to be a weird thing to be a, a part-time catcher. Um, if Narvaez ever comes back, like Omar Narvaez being a Met seems like something <laughs> that didn't happen. Correct. Uh, but if he comes back anytime soon, Alvarez isn't going anywhere. And, <clears throat> you know, Nito got paid um, when the Mets signed him to cover his it's just his last two years of arbitration, but it's still like four and a half, five million dollars, something like that in total. Right. Um, you know that that's a significant accomplishment. I mean, making it to the big leagues at all is is one, and and then breaking through the severely uh, underpaid phase of your major league career is another one. And I'm not saying his career is over, but his time with the Mets could come to an end if if Narvaez is back and Alvarez is just doing what he's doing now. Um, there's really not a spot for Nito on the roster. Right. So, I mean, it's got to mess with your head and it's got to put a ton of pressure on when now you're back to being a backup. And in those, you know, two or three games out of every 10 that you get to play, you're not performing. Um, you know, so if it really is an eye issue, then I, I genuinely apologize for being skeptical of it. But if it's if it's more of a, a you know, psychological one that like, hey, I hope I hope the break works. Like I, I yeah, I, we have nothing against Tomas Nito. He's he's been nothing other than a a solid player who's I think far exceeded any expectations that were placed on him when he was first called up to the big leagues. Correct. So. I also wish that there was a mechanism in baseball for people to give be given a break without having to lie about these things. Right. Uh, you know, like, we've recently seen a number of players, including, you know, former Met Trevor May, go on the IL for uh, anxiety issues or mental health issues in general. I think that's great. 
but there should be something along those lines of just like dude needs a break. <laughs> um, right. Because I, I think that it's just, it's healthier to think about things in a way in that way than to force people to make shit up otherwise. Right. Or to, to do that or explicitly come out and say that that's what they have going on. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Hey, credit to Trevor May for talking about it. Bill Pulsifer came on uh, during a broadcast and talked about the, how, how much it affected him in his career um, to the point that even when he threw out a first pitch at city field the other day, like he felt that come back. Yeah. Uh, being out there is just a, just a guest who, you know, Mets fans obviously know who he is, but um, you know, it's not Tom Seaver throwing a pitch to Mike Piazza. Right. Like, right. And, and, and yet that, that feeling still came back and it's, you know, um, I think it's good in, in multiple context for people to actually uh, talk about that. You know, there's sports itself, which can be very uh, unforgiving. And then, and then also just society in general, I think has such a long way to go and, and people just saying like, yep, that's, that's what's going on. So, um, you know, we, we certainly can't uh, say that we know what exactly is going on with Tomas Nito. Um but whatever it is, I hope I hope the stint on the IL, uh, you know, helps them out. Absolutely, yes, without a question. We should somewhat shift our conversation here. And there's two players in the minors. We've talked about them before: Mark Vientos and uh, Ronnie Mauricio, who are, you know, looking quite good in AAA right now. Mauricio is undergoing a bit more of a transition in his career. He's learning to play second base, might learn to play the outfield a little bit. So I think the conversation is a little bit different around Mauricio. But Mark Vientos is hitting the shit out of the ball right now in AAA. I mean, just for context, he is batting 353 with a 444 on base percentage and a 714 slugging percentage. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, in 33 games, he has 11 home runs. Uh, he has hit, he has had 42 hits. He's scored 22 runs. Um, you know, he, he has 85 total bases in the first 33 games of the season. He's just, he, he is just hitting the cover off the ball. And so, uh, Chris and I are each going to make a case for one of these guys to come up. Um, and we're going to start with Ronnie Mauricio. How would you get Mauricio in this lineup? So I, I think the uh, the move for either of these guys, these guys to come up is Marte to the injured list, right? So that uh, I think we'd be starting on the same path there uh, since right. we and seemingly everybody else agree that that should happen. So <clears throat> in that case, um, yes, Mauricio is – inexperienced relatively speaking at second base um hasn't been the best defender in the minor leagues at short uh, so you know it'd be fair to maybe have some concerns about what that looks like if he gets called up and and splits his time let's say between second base and dh but if Marte's on the injured list um jeff mcneil's a capable outfielder 
you know, he, he can get out there in the corner uh, and, and pretty much just be your everyday right fielder while you see what Mauricio can do at second base. Um, later in games, you can bring Guillaume in for def- uh, defensive reasons if Mauricio is a little bit concerning there and you have a lead. Um, uh, the Mets having a lead just sounds so like foreign right now. But <laughs> how novel! But you you could uh, you could play it that way. Uh, you know, you're, you call up an infielder. It's definitely going to put a dent in Guillaume's playing time. Uh, but you have Mauricio and McNeil in the lineup pretty much every day. Uh, you're not overexposing anybody in left field where Tommy Pham and Mark Canna can um, split time. And and also you can do this for like. I don't know, six, 10 games, something like that. And just see how it goes. And, and if it's not like a major success, that's fine. Um, but I think, I think that opportunity is there. And uh, if you really felt like you wanted Guillaume to start during that uh, little experiment at second with McNeil still, uh, still in the outfield, then okay, that that's fine. Um, and I guess for me, I mean, it, it's not a knock on Vientos. He's he's doing everything he can. Uh, and Mauricio's line is almost as good. Not, the slugging is not almost uh, 700, but it's almost 600. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, uh, there's just something there that I think uh, – I know Vientos had gotten some prospect hype, at least in, like, the Mets organizational rankings. Um which is something that obviously our uh, our friends who have done all that work uh, for Amazing Avenue over the years have have touched on. Um, but Mauricio had that consensus top 100, consensus top 50 prospect in baseball hype not right. that long ago. And, and I know pretty much everyone who gave him that hype gave up on him as a significant prospect after last season. But there's just something about that like uh, forecasting what prospects are going to do is a very difficult thing. Uh, but I don't know, even for you and I who, who don't spend the majority of our time, uh, our baseball time doing that. I understand when a guy jumps off the page. Uh, yes. You know, we always cite Andres Jimenez. Right. Right. As a guy we saw in spring training where both of us just felt like, holy shit, that's a guy. Right. So, you know, that kind of a thing. And, like, I haven't seen, you know, I saw Maurizio play in Binghamton a little bit last year. Um, I didn't get that feeling uh, from from those games. I I haven't really, I mean, COVID messed up so much of the routine of getting down to spring training and seeing players uh, in, in that environment. So I can't say that he's done that for me, but he did that for a lot of people because you don't get that kind of, uh, prospect pedigree, so to speak, without without having that effect on people who are watching you play. So I know that went away, but there's just something about that, you know, that track record as a prospect, and um, and, and what he's doing in Syracuse right now. That he'd be my guy. I, I know. Uh, that, that might not be in the majority decision right now. Although I think a lot of people would call it both, but sure. But yeah, I'd, I'd see that. So what about you? I, I, I know on the broadcast uh, today, they talked about Buckshaw Walter, not wanting to call up somebody to just be a DH. Right. 
So where does Vientos uh, fit in in your in your prospect experiment here? <laughs> so uh, to me, Vientos. Well, let me let me say this first of all. Um, I'm rooting for both of these guys for a couple of reasons. I'm rooting for them because I love it when a Mets prospect goes relatively unheralded and then lights the world on fire. That's just a fun thing. So both these guys have prospect value, but neither of them were considered to be, you know, just the um, the cream of the crop. And if they emerge as that, awesome. Great. Let, let's, let's pour one out for those guys. That's very fun. Um, but let's talk about the way you get Vientos into this lineup. First of all, I think that you know, I had forgotten until recently that Vientos had played a little bit of left field in the minors uh, as recently as 2021. Not a ton of it, but a, a little bit of left field. He played 13 games in 21 for um, uh, across a couple of systems in left field. Last season, he played exclusively first base and third base, and this season, first base, third base, and DH. But if he can just stand in left field and not be Dom Smith out there, I think that this gives the Mets a couple of options. If Canna continues to struggle, if Tommy Pham continues to struggle, you could start him, let's call it once a week in left field. I also think you could DH him at least once a week. I think you can start him at first base and let Pete DH maybe once a week. And I think you could probably do the same thing for Beatty, or if if not, if not DH Beatty, just give Beatty a day off because he is still young and you don't want to overwhelm him. And so I think that if you can get him in four different positions once a week, with maybe DHing twice a week, I think if he can play four or five games a week at the major league level, you have to see if this is for real or not. Um, it just seems to me like there is a there's a window here where you can mess around with him in different positions. But if he plays the majority of this season at first or third in AAA and emerges as really solid talent there, they're not going to take that chance of playing him all over, you know, a year down the road. And so I think if you're not... If the goal is to trade Vientos, you don't call him up. You let him have these gaudy numbers at AAA. You establish him as a star at a position there, and then you trade him for his maximum value. If you think his he's moved more value to the Mets as a role player for this season, then I think you have to bring him up soon and try him in those different places. And look, do I think Mark Vientos left fielder is the, the best move for him? Uh, probably not. But it's the move for him that gets him playing every day next year. You know, um, Canada yeah, under contract next year. Fam's under contract for next year. Maybe that's the way you get him in the lineup. I don't. I don't know. Um, but it I just might not be Todd Hundley or Lucas Duda out there. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. Yeah, he, he, I, I mean, I had to reference the two worst experiments. Uh, you'd put Dom Smith worse than Todd Hundley or Lucas Duda. You, you mean you wouldn't put Dom Smith as worse than them? No, no, because I think he actually improved. Fair enough. Todd Huntley was so bad, like they stopped. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't a DH when those guys were playing either. Right. And, and, and maybe his bat is so electric, you just figure, fuck it, he's our DH. 
Um, but do, do you agree that the time for experimentation is now with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, even if I would slightly prefer if they only called up one, that it would be Mauricio. Uh, I think <clears throat> one of them's got to come up for this national series. Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't come out of all this saying, "Oh man, they have to fire Buckshaw Walter or Jeremy Hefner or whatever." But they got to do something, like some change. And and I think uh, either one would be totally uh, justifiable uh, based on what those guys are doing, uh, just like it was with Brett Beatty. Yeah, I mean. It's it's sad to say that, right? Like you, you you don't you don't want people to have to have their jobs in the line. You don't want to put players in positions where maybe they're not going to be super comfortable because it's still early May. But that said, like I mean, I'm with you. Something has to happen here. And I don't Aside from bringing up one of those guys, is there anything else you could do that you that you would feel confident about? Mm, no, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's um, I don't know if there's any realistic trades out there or anything like that. Uh, I'm I'm neither an ardent supporter or nor a hater of Buckshaw Walter, uh, but I don't think. I don't think relieving him of his duties is necessarily going to accomplish anything uh, at this juncture. And I think given how much they uh, sort of invested in him as their manager, not, not just money, but the, the culture of the team and all that sort of, just sort of thing. And uh, it would be kind of weird to fire him a, a season and a third in when he still has far more wins than losses. Right. Um, so yeah, I I I think you can do the call up with either of these guys, and uh, not put them in a position where they feel like they have to be the savior. Uh, they can hit eighth or ninth. Alvarez can move up a bit. He's certainly gotten adjusted with his bat. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I, that that's all I've got for now. Uh, you any any other? No, I think that's about it. Yeah. Um. You know, I I wish I had a I wish I had a more creative solution to this. Yeah. But I it just it just seems beyond, like that's the way to go. But yeah, be, anything beyond that would be uh dipping into lower levels of the minors and just bringing a guy straight up who a pitcher straight up from there. Um and see what he can give you at the major league level. But that has not really been their style. Um and just because the Mets aren't likely to do something doesn't mean it's the right decision but right yeah i mean i also feel like just in that from that perspective who would that even be it, like mike vassal and and uh binghamton you know uh he had that one good spring training start they, like that would maybe be the guy and that just i don't know mauricio and vientos feel like you're not putting them in a spot to, to do something beyond like they're conquering AAA right now, right? So the the only thing you can do from there is take the step up and see what you look like at the major league level. But um, you know, a pitcher in AA coming in and into a rotation and pitching staff as a whole that has an awful uh, ERA, especially lately, that that feels 
um, maybe a little bit cruel. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Um, anything else match related we got to get to before we talk about some music? No, I, I not often that on the show I'll say like, damn, good job by us. But I think we, we covered quite a bit for a pretty <laughs> shitty stretch. Yeah. I, I do. I do have one thing I wanted to mention, actually, uh, okay. which is the Mets signed Gary Sanchez to a minor league deal. Oh, yeah. And um, I do not think that this is the move that's going to save the season for the Mets. But I think that this like the uh, Dominic Leone signing from last week. This is a guy who was in a, on a minor league contract, was able to opt out or rather, I, I believe um, Sanchez actually asked for his release and it was granted because of the deadline passing. But regardless, uh, somebody who, you know, is not necessarily going to win the Comeback Player of the Year award, but maybe can provide some value on a cheap deal. And um, I, I don't hate this. I don't have like crazy high hopes for him for him as a Met. But if he can rediscover some of that bat, if he can be less of a train wreck behind the plate, I could kind of get down with this. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. And um, obviously his tenure with the Yankees was so, uh, I don't know. I don't even know if it was divisive. It felt like everybody hated him, Uh, but it, it was, it was just, he was a lightning rod in his time there. Yes. But this is somebody who has shown the ability to hit for power in major league games in, in a significant way. Uh, and, and someone who improved his defense behind the plate. Um, so to have that guy in Syracuse, uh, maybe able to come up and join uh, the team, whether it's behind the plate or just as a, a DH, um, it doesn't hurt at all. Uh, and I know the reactions to it were a little on the like LOL Mets side of things, but this is a kind of player that if, if you're able to land him uh, on a risk-free deal, like why the hell not? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I hope it works out. It, it, it's funny. We, all of us, uh, you know, talk about pitchers getting hurt. Uh, and they do, but catchers get hurt a lot too. It's not, it's a rough position. It, you know, even if it's not one that sees guys have, uh, you know, season ending surgery all the time, you, you get banged up back there. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, let's say Narvaez isn't back and Sanchez has a good week or two in Syracuse and uh, maybe you give him a few games and, you know, see what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, right now they have Michael Perez um, as the backup catcher in the Major League team. Right. And, uh, you know, no offense to that guy. I don't think having Sanchez there is any riskier or worse than having... Oh, yeah, no, everything Sanchez did with the Twins last year was better than what Perez has done in his entire career. Yeah. And that was just like a decent season with the Twins. It wasn't anything crazy. Right, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I, I feel like both you and I have the same um, sort of position on this, which is that if you have a chance to make your team even incrementally better on a risk-free deal, there's no reason to not do that every single time. And if people think this is an LOL Mets move, they either don't understand 
<laughs> what that means or they just forget what what value at the margins of your team can be, can can do for you and i see no reason not to do this yeah totally agree all right well now we can tip our caps to each other for a good podcast <laughs> um but let's talk about music first what is your music pick for this week so uh i'm Dipping a little into the past again, but not the too distant past because I, I remember when this record came out um, as opposed to records that came out before we were born. Uh, so Slater Kenny is, or, jeez, oh there's going to be a backhanded compliment to start. I don't love what they've done over the last couple of years, but over the course of their career as a band, Slater Kenny is fucking awesome. <laughs> yep. And they had put out, uh several records before they released this one the woods and they had already uh, you know they they had their following they had their uh critical acclaim and it was all fully warranted just awesome songs great band and then they just go in and and uh you know make this record where everything's intentionally just super loud um you know to the point that it, there's like fuzziness and clipping that's that's there. Um, I think maybe the first time everybody who was a fan heard it, they might have thought like, oh, there's something wrong with my speakers right now. But like, <laughs> nope, that was on purpose. But I love that. Like, I, it's just, um, it was different, but it was still totally them at the same time. And uh, it's just a awesome heavy rock record. You know, they, they still have that, uh, like it, their sound, you know, their, their vocals aren't that different, but the production and, and, um, the songwriting are, um, you know, uh, let's call it love is 11 minutes long. And that is like half an early Slater kidding album in one yeah. song yep. in terms of length, but it's, it's awesome. And there's a few other songs that are well over four minutes. Um, it, yeah, just start to finish, uh, you know, in recommending albums, uh, I think at least uh, my approach, and I, I don't want to speak for you, but um, we there's there's always plenty of stuff on an album we recommend that's good. Uh, this one just feels that little bit extra, like cohesive, where from start to finish you are on a ride with them and. Uh, some slight pun intended with roller coaster being named one of the, the <laughs> one of the one of the names of the songs on the record but uh yeah i just i i i've loved this record um i was fortunate at the time they were breaking up and they you know they put this record out most recently when they did their like farewell tour and uh, I was fortunate to land a ticket to their show at Webster Hall where they they didn't play the whole thing start to finish, but they played a lot of it in that set. Uh, and they filmed that set professionally. And I still have no idea like what they ever did with that because, you know, it's sitting on a hard drive somewhere. Um, and I, I would love to get to experience it again, but uh, very happy to have seen it. And, um, you know, probably the, 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 one big takeaway song from this that people may have heard in another context, uh, Pearl Jam covers it. Uh, modern girl uh, is right in the middle of the record and it's just, 
uh, it's probably a song, you know, I, I referenced it with Ben Harper last week where uh, the artist may have gotten a little sick of playing it because it was just so catchy and so uh, so much attention had been paid to it. I don't know if Slater Kenny felt that way about Modern Girl because they, they never really like stopped playing it or anything. Um, but when Pearl Jam's out there like covering your song on a semi-regular basis, um, you know, that, that song has made it. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, if you've never listened to Cider Kenny at all, then this may not be the most representative thing of their entire catalog, but it start, well, it's gotten warm out now. And to me, it's a great summer record in the car with the windows down uh, kind of experience. So check it out. I can't yeah. believe the record's like 17 years old. That's ridiculous. That blows my mind. Yep. <laughs> um, oh, wait, no, sorry. Almost 19 years old. Ugh. Oh, boy. Well, regardless, um, <laughs> that's, Jesus Christ, we're old, man. I don't know when this happened, but here we are. Yep. Uh, so I am going to dip into a record that I had heard many years ago. And I actually bought many years ago, but you know, I have I've moved a number of times in my life, and I've thinned out my record collection at different points. Um, and uh, I don't believe I still own this on CD. Maybe it's in a box in my shed outside or something, but I don't I don't know where it is. It is by a band that is from uh, Washington D.C. It is called Shudder to Think. They are a, a, a post-punk alternative rock. I don't know how you want to categorize them, but they made a couple of records for um, Discord, the legendary Ian McKay-run punk label out of D.C. Um, but this is their major, major label debut. Um, they signed with Epic Records, and this also saw a, a lineup shift in the recording process before the recording process started. Um, they added two new members, guitarist Nathan Larson and drummer Adam Wade, who uh, Wade used to be in Jawbox, just for anyone who knows other Discord bands that eventually signed to major labels and are also awesome. Um, but the main force behind Shutter to Think is a guy named Craig Wedron, who um, grew up with David Wayne of The State and Stella and Wet Hot American Summer. And so he has done the soundtrack work to anything David Wayne has ever done. So like if you've ever seen What Hot American Summer, there's that great fake 80s song called Higher and Higher. That's Craig Wedron. Um, just an incredible songwriter and brought something so unusual to the sort of punk alternative scene, which is before anybody else was influenced by things like glam rock, he was a very glammy guy. He would wear eyeliner. His vocal style was very like Mark Bolin in times, but he also brought this incredible funky sense of rhythm. And so you listen when you listen to a Shutter to Think record, especially this record, Pony Express record, there are songs that start off sounding very uh, straightforward, very like you know traditional rock stuff, and then the timing, something happens, whether it's a break, the band pauses or you recognize an extra beat in a measure, or you're like, that riff is syncopated and strange. Like, he just brings this really varied sense of rhythm. Uh, there was a, a, a single from this record called X French T-Shirt, 
that became like MTV played it a fair amount. I, I want to say it was maybe on Beavis and Butthead. Um, who knows? Um, I seem to remember that, but I could be totally wrong. But the track is incredible. Uh, that song, if you listen to that song and, and it, it, it speaks to you, then this record needs to be uh, in your life. But just like I said, just really interesting, unusual songwriting. You know, I think that the term alternative, like every musical term ever got bastardized. But to me, what alternative always meant was that it was like something you've heard before, but different enough to sort of make you sit up and say, oh, that's that's unusual. That's different. And to me, like this band is the perfect encapsulation of that. Um, on a personal note, I went to an event in 2007 that was hosted by uh, David Wayne, Michael Showalter, Michael Ian Black, again, alums of the, the MTV series, The State, who were performing under the name Stella. And it was a, a, a fundraiser for the Obama campaign. And it was going to be a night of comedy and music. And uh, Shudder, I think, reunited for the first time in like 10 years at that um, at that event. And it was amazing watching the people in the room who knew what was happening, like freak out over this. Because the, the Shudder, I think, was never a huge band. They made two records on Epic, but they were not like world beaters by any stretch. They're this underground band. And like I went with four or five people. And I was the only one in my group of friends who was like freaking out over this because it was it was a shutter thing reunion. And they played X Friends T-shirt. They started with that, and like everyone in the room who knew the song just like lost their minds at that moment. And they probably I can't find the set list anywhere. I'm sure it's someplace on the internet. I can't find it. They probably played five or six songs, but it was amazing. And um, I just think that there are bands that are interesting and weird that drop off people's radars not because of any reason uh, not, not because of any malice or any uh you know conceivable reason just it just happens right and these bands can be forgotten sometimes and when i get to remember a band like this it makes me so happy because i just love the fact that there were people out there making music this weird this interesting on major labels in the mid 90s and uh yeah so i can't recommend this record highly enough pony express record by shutter the thing from 1994 check it out um and thank you all for checking this show out we appreciate it go to homerunapplesauce.com or patreon.com slash homerunapplesauce to support this podcast directly chris is on twitter at chris mcshane i am on twitter at brian and until next time Let's go Mets.